Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I am Jackson Wood, joined as always by my partner and my friend, Ryan Kruger. In today's episode, we are going to talk about how to know when to sell a stock, when to sell a stock. Um, There are tons of questions around this. If you let social media or mainstream media or CNBC guide you in your process for determining whether or not to sell a stock, I think it's very, uh, you'll be driven insane, I think is a good way to say it. Um, everybody is chiming in with their opinion on the, the stock and the price and the movement, and they'll look at all sorts of things. And we have a very disciplined sell process for when we would sell one of our investments. And I think it's worth going through that uh, now just to show how this is incredibly important, often under-discussed, and something that will prove very beneficial to you as an investor. Um, and then I think you can also apply sell disciplines to a lot of other areas in your life. But this, this one's focused um, primarily on, on stock positions and investments. Um, and I wanted to... I, and I think it, you, you can broaden it out, as you know I'm willing to do, because I think it applies differently. Like when there's some things you want to cling to and keep no matter what, like I still have shirts in my closet from high school and i'm a little bit older gentleman at this point without doing the math on how long some of those shirts are how old some of those shirts are and they're upside surprises and holding on to sacred vintage items like when your teenager asks to borrow one of those because and i'm thinking oh my gosh it's it's back in style like it's a compliment and like you later learn it was for a costume party <laughs> So while there are some things to hold on to fiercely, most of those are at home. Other things you need to be objective and completely open-minded about, convinced of nothing, heels dug in nothing. I was just asked earlier today, if there's one or two questions you could ask any advisor, any money manager, what would they be? And you know my favorite, which nobody's comfortable with except for us, where is 100% of your own money? But if there's one other question that I would ask that people are less willing or less able to answer, because maybe they own funds or indexes, they're supposed to be passive and they're not actively managing here. Dirty little secret. Every account is actively managed, whether we know it or not. So as an investor, you are obligated for your family or for your business to get to the bottom of these things. No different than you would any other business. How do we know when to stop the bleeding? What is specifically our operating manual procedure if something goes wrong? So the best question I would ask any advisor or money manager, tell me the last time you were wrong and specifically how you handled it and will the next time you're wrong. And let's not talk about predicting when that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Tell me exactly what the operating procedure is, a.k.a. I love that. And I I think a good a good place to start and kind of introduce this topic is with a quote. I think we quote Peter Lynch all the time on the show, but he has a quote that says, behind every stock is a company. Find out what it's doing. And I think just that concept of of tying a stock ticker symbol to a company is where a lot of people stop. They, they just don't do that. And these companies that we invest in represent 
you know, they, they represent companies or groups of people. They're producing a good or a service that that is tangible and that you can get your hands on. And there's a lot going on in that company. So getting to the bottom of that and understanding what is going on is, is really a crucial part in understanding when to sell, when to buy, when to sell a, a position. So for every investor along their journey, there inevitably becomes, there inevitably uh, is a time when one of their positions or one of their holdings starts to go the other direction. And they need to have this discipline surrounding that. So I was listening to a podcast with Chris, Chris Bloomstrand. This is one of the best stories I have ever heard. And I just heard this the other day. So it's, it's the inspiration for, for the topic of this show. And he was telling a story about his mentor. So his mentor, um, after the, after the uh, Great Depression crash, he ha- escaped losing any money during the crash, which is an incredible feat and probably deserves a podcast on its own. But he was one of the, the few investors in the US that was sitting on cash. And at this time, he decided to take some of the cash and invest in General Electric, so GE. Uh, the cost basis or the price that they paid for, for GE, this position, was 12 cents, right? 12 cents. Uh, the, the company, and they, they analyzed it, they popped the hood, they looked at the company, they, they made an allocation into GE at 12 cents a share. Um, a couple years later, this was remarkable to me, and this was one of the best examples I've ever heard of yield on cost or mailbox money. But the dividend, the annual dividend that they received from their GE position was multiples of their cost basis. So every year they were getting three or four times and dividends what they originally invested in the stock. This couldn't be a better setup. We've talked on the show about you know Warren's Buffett, Warren Buffett's yield on cost in Coca-Cola and other incredible examples, Texas Instruments, whatever. This is the most, um, the profound example I have learned of you know, yield on cost, right? So if you think about the conditions, everything in their investment process went right up to this point. And it didn't just go right. It went spectacularly right. This is incredible. This is, this is where they tell stories on podcasts like 90 years later of what you did with after the Great Depression, right? So Chris and his mentor continued to monitor the position, continued to watch it. They held it in the portfolio. The, the investment was so valuable to the company or to the, to the family that made the investment that it made, a substantial, uh, made up a substantial percentage of their wealth. They had a very low cost basis. The stock performed incredibly well, was an income machine for the family, and they hadn't sold it. And if you think about reasons to, to not sell something, one of the things that pops to mind is taxes, right? They were in this position. It had built significant wealth for the family. If they sold the position, they would have a pretty hefty tax bill, right? Um, and so that was one of the reasons. So Chris and his mentor continued to monitor and look at the fundamentals of the company GE. And they watched it quarter after quarter after quarter. And for, I don't even know how many quarters in a row that is, probably 120 quarters, they didn't change. They kept holding the position. And eventually at that point, I think a lot of investors would, would just kind of tire of it and think it's boring. Why do we keep monitoring this? Why do we keep watching this? You know, why do we keep you know, going to the doctor and getting a checkup? I feel healthy, right? Um, so when his mentor was close to 100 years old, they got a quarterly earnings report and they looked at each other and they said, we need to investigate this a little more. We're starting to see the signs, the tide shifting. We're starting to see some incremental change in the company that we have owned for a long time that we don't like, right? And they, they ultimately ended up selling the entire position based off of the fact that they dove 
into the numbers and looked at these quarterly earnings report, did some investigative work, turned over rocks, as Ryan likes to say, and found that they weren't comfortable holding this. So they, they bit the bullet and they sold the stock. The, the estate, the foundation, the fund had tremendous amount of tax implication for doing this. And the stock is down 80% from where they sold, 85%, I think, even accounting for the share adjust or the the split of the, the share price. So in my mind, this is one of the best stories I've heard for being, being prudent with your investment philosophy on the way in to a position, monitoring that the entire time you hold it, and then letting the math and the evidence do the talking for when you sell. Because even, I mean, imagine if they said, well, you know, we don't like the fundamentals, we don't like what we're seeing, but if we sell this, we're gonna owe the biggest tax bill any of us have ever paid. Like that's not, that's not even enough reason to delay selling a position. And so I just thought that that was an incredibly powerful story. One of the best I've heard and, and you know, big shout out to, to Chris for sharing that story with the audience. I, I rewound it and listened a couple of times just because it was so powerful to me. And the host, I, I'm going on tangent here, but the host was, was very obsessed with how he had enough cash and how he knew to get in. And my brain was thinking the other way around. Can you imagine the discipline required when you're nearly 100 years old to say, that's enough. We're, we're washing our hands of this. It doesn't make any more sense. To me, that was the most powerful lesson of the story and something that I feel passionate about sharing with, with as many people as I can, as I can reach. So as portfolio manager, I would, the thread of that that remains true for the next hundred years will be remain curious, never convinced. If you're not humble, the market's going to do it for you. So be humble. Um, but for those of us listening that aren't under the hood and aren't doing that research and don't have the ability or desire or the time to do some of that fundamental research and they don't know what's going to happen next. I have a pretty good example of that here recently that we all just went through. I would say give yourself grace. Don't think you have to figure out where all of those turns are going to occur. Um, a couple of sell disciplines that more investors will face than any one of the positions that we wrestle with, with math is when somebody has an overweight position in their life, not in a stock account, but maybe it's their job, maybe it's sudden wealth where they have a concentrated position in a company, maybe it's real estate or a house. And if they are really honest and objective and on one piece of paper like you and I do, calculate how much is in safe liquid assets, completely removed from harm's way, cannot go down. So that's none of that that we just talked about. <laughs> Cash and beautifully born bonds and insured deposits. That's safe. What is sacred? Sacred means it get, pays you while you sleep. It's not a change in appreciation price or upside or maybe it'll be worth one. No, no. It pays you while you sleep. Whatever's left is speculation. Most folks have a lion's share, especially when they're wildly successful early in the speculation sleeve, whether they intend to or not. And that's a good problem to have in some of these cases. How do you know when you are going to retire or you have a business or you have too much real estate or you have a lot of something that's really, really good? Um, I mean, we can't start, although I have one of my five kids that does start with ice cream first. The meal, but you, you got to have the broccoli before the steak and potatoes, and then the dessert. It's got to be balanced. I would say one way to know how and when to sell is when your head hits the pillow that you can fall asleep at all. 
So I've honestly and humbly answered that to people. If you are worried at all, sell down to whatever the number is where you can at least sleep at night. That's the starting point. And then if you cross off, there's two ways to know not to do something. And folks will say, I do or don't want to sell based on taxes. And I do or don't want to sell based on what it will take to get back to break even. If your reason or time to sell has anything to do with taxes or breaking even, you have potentially put significantly more at risk than you're solving. And I've seen countless examples where to avoid a relatively small tax bill, I've seen people lose 95% of their principal. No more tax problem. <laughs> yeah. This notion of breaking even, we have a simple solution, which we're happy to share in a couple minutes, our cell disciplines for that. But having just the starting frame point, the, the framing and the starting point, I, I should say, and the peace of mind, no matter what you're dealing with, wherever you are, before you even worry about stock portfolios, and I'll give the ball back to you here for that, just, and I'm, I'm the peace of mind guy here today. You'll be the chop it up, fundamental under the hood guy. Get yourself to a starting point where you have peace of mind with enough sold down in whatever is overweight, even if it may still work, so that you have a clear mind and a lens to which you will see and hear things that you previously didn't have because absent the peace of mind, there's a lot of opportunities you won't even witness. So I, I think selling down to any portion where you can sleep well at night is step one and the easy way. And if what's the worst that can happen? If you cut a position in half, that's too big and it keeps going up. I would rather be half right than all wrong. I, I think that that is some of the hardest, uh, the hardest advice to, to implement personally, but I've, I've seen in my own life. And then I've got the follow-up to the, the story I shared here. That's powerful. I mean, I'll share just a personal insight, but it, it does work and it's very, very important. So back in 2012, and I, I spoke about this on the podcast, I was fortunate enough, enough to stumble into Bitcoin. And I learned about Bitcoin as an undergrad econ student. It just, you know, light bulbs started going off in my head and the puzzle fit together. And, you know, whatever money I did have, I scrounged together and was able to buy some, some Bitcoin. And I sold two big lots of it twice. Um, the first one was in 2017 when Bitcoin had gone from $1,000 up to $20,000, briefly touched over 20,000. And I sold in December of that year and it moved higher, you know, a couple thousand points higher from the point I sold before ultimately crashing. And I looked at the portfolio and I didn't have a crystal ball. I never claimed to, but the reason I sold was simply because I, my life and my portfolio had become skewed and out of balance. And I had to be able to pull that back and, and sleep well at night. And ultimately it proved to be a good decision. And at the, if the price had continued moving forward, it, it would have been the same, uh, the same scenario and the same outcome for me. I'm, I'm glad I did. And I sold that twice. So the second, the follow-up story, right? Um, so they, they make this sell in GE and now they have cash and they were looking at the market and valuations and popping the hood and the business had shifted from what it was to basically a finance holding company and whatever. They, they came up with their thesis, they sold, they followed their discipline. Um, then they went through the dot-com crash and everything got hammered. And they were able to take that money and buy 
companies that they felt were fairly fairly valued. They were very excited about the fundamentals and what they were seeing. So they turned a million dollars. This is what he said in the podcast. I don't know if the numbers are accurate, but they you know they sold at a million bucks worth of GE, and then they were in cash and they were able to find these really good companies, these really good overlooked businesses that people weren't paying attention to, and they turned that into another ten million. And he, he was talking about that, and then the host called him out and he said, "Look at look at your return." based off of GE instead of based off the market. And it was like a 50X multiplier because if they had not sold the GE, it would have been you know, a million down to 200,000 or, or 50,000 and then they would have invested and it would have just been dramatically different. So knowing and being very careful from the beginning on your position size and selling when, you're, when you feel uncomfortable is incredibly, incredibly important. And I can, I can stand as a witness of how important it is for, for your portfolio but even just for peace of mind and, and being able to continue as an investor. So we have boiled it down. We've shared this before, but I'm really excited to share this again in the context of what we presented today are three simple rules for sell disciplines that have worked for our strategy since 1998, which is a pretty long track record. That is something we are proud of and, and that we don't talk too often about Ryan, especially because that goes back to his, you know, his tenure as a portfolio manager. Uh, but the first one is position size input limit. And what do we mean when we initiate a position and how does that have anything to do with a sell stop? So, and this works anywhere, not just a stock portfolio. Um, I, I, I applied it earlier today and somebody said it was, that was better advice than your stock stuff, which was, I try to read as many books as possible. I'd have tight stops. Like I'd rather have a hundred books to find one really, really good one than to feel obligated to start and finish one that sucks. Um, so unlock and, and liberate yourself for unlimited upside. That's the other beautiful side of, okay, so what if you just put $1 out of every hundred, 1% into any of your ideas, the best one included, whatever that number is for you, as long as it's limited and as long as it cannot affect and wreck your overall nest egg, that's the answer. We will put no more than 1% of any overall plan. Number two, and this is the hardest, and also applies to real life when things are not working, when in a hole, stop digging. Rule of holes. If you remember nothing else from this podcast and you care nothing about math and the stock market, it works in every aspect of life. Never average down. We will never add one red cent to a losing position. If you do those two things to start with, limit the amount of risk capital and never add one penny to it. You have closed the barn door to any one horse getting loose of one simple problem becoming a real damaging experience for a portfolio, period. And then, and this is the hardest, what we prefer to do, and this is where we disagree with a lot of professional money managers. Most do not have strict sell disciplines where when something goes wrong. So we've limited ourselves to begin with, but then we set a sell discipline, a stop loss at any point if you set that on any of your investments where you've answered the question before it's asked how do you know when to sell you've completely removed emotions you will never dig in your heels you will never pound the table you will never add to it and then all of a sudden to your earlier point about all the different positions the real beauty of sell disciplines is not limiting losses although that's a big 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 deal it's seeding new opportunities with that dry powder. That, 
So what usually turns people off about cell disciplines is somehow limiting. I don't think they're seeing the other side of what that unlocks and, and what you can then seed. And the biggest advantage of all, an example, somebody shared a chart with me earlier that's just, we all need more of these, especially if you're trying to figure out this investment world or we talked about how to, how to find an advisor, how to do this on your own. And we want to be an open playbook to anybody and everybody in between. Um, if you just stop trying to figure this stuff out, which I did a long time ago, and that's why we use repeatable quantitative systems based on evidence. Imagine, and, and we did a post recently where it said it's almost as if, if you got spotted like in Back to the Future, the, the gray sports almanac, and you knew the outcome of the games ahead of time and you could make those picks, how great that would be. And we showed in the stock market how that still can lead to ruin. I'm like, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, you got to go read that. And it's some good pictures to some vintage Back to the Future clothes if you want to read that post. But the example more recently and, and why you can stop worrying, in my humble opinion, about predicting and knowing when to sell and then knowing when to buy, because that's the other question that's in, leaving us with an unending riddle of anxiety as an investor. Imagine had you been told what we're all the most worried about and where most people cry fire in a movie theater every single year about it's time to get out, the world's coming to an end, and you all have those friends and contacts texting you those examples every single day of how the world is going to end. Imagine you finally get it right. <laughs> and the world almost does come to an end. And we have this pandemic where the, for the first time in history, every single industry in the world, every sector is shut down. I mean, you talk about balance and diversification and rotation and like there, nobody had that page in their playbook where every industry is shut down for a period of time. Imagine had you known that and been able to sell the stock market that goes ripping higher as soon as that happens, but you even get the Gray's Almanac of somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, actually, there's going to be one vaccine maker that gets approved and they sell $70 billion of the vaccine for this pandemic. And you can invest in that and I'm going to sell this and I'm going to buy that. And you have the solution to the world's biggest problem, selling $70 billion of it. And the stock is lower today than it was five years ago. I give that as permission for anybody listening to this to stop trying to predict either end of that spectrum. And if you're anything like us and want to last the test of all times, have a repeatable system, including cell discipline so the questions are answered before they're I asked. love that. I saw that chart. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I thought that that was incredibly powerful. Um, I love it. All right. So now I think. Well, there'll, be, there'll, never be, there'll never be a better. I want you to remember that. And I'll repeat it one more time because every one of us is at a dinner table or a conversation where somebody's making some outlandish prediction. And I just gave you the greatest two I remember in my career. And had you nailed both of them, you still missed out. If you correctly call the almost end of the world and yeah. <laughs> sold, you missed out on a lot of upside. And had you somehow or another been given the cheat code and the one solution that would sell $70 billion of stock market is so hard to figure out because of supply and demand and pricing, which is why we have this repeatable system that measures the businesses, not the stock market reaction. 
and you lose money knowing that, if you've been given that, then if those two things can happen, then just politely elbow the brilliant prognosticator next to you that's telling you what the next big thing is going to be or what the next big concern is going to be and tell them it really might not matter. <laughs> you need a better playbook than a prediction and you need to be open-minded and humble more than convinced. It's, it's unbelievably powerful and important in portfolio management. For anybody out there that appreciated this and would like to schedule a meeting with our team, you can email us, team at freedomdaysolutions.com. You can check out the, the article that Ryan mentioned. I'll post a link in the notes, but you can also visit our website, freedomdaysolutions.com. And with that, we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.